I'm going to continue with the topic of the chapter that we read this month, and I'm going to actually kind of redirect it a little bit. We'll see how this goes. Um, you know, I, this was, of the topics we've talked about so far, I was probably most anxious about this one because I knew a number of people weren't happy with the chapter, especially the focused on shame. Um, and, uh, uh, but yet, what, what I found out was this actually was a very interesting month. We had some real creativity. Scott, um, kind of with his epistle, right? The, the, the found epistle that he made up, of course. And, and then Shauna and Mark, um, I found both of their talks really thought-provoking, you know, and I was really, I've been impressed by this month. I'm not completely in agreement with the author yet, but at the same time, I saw a lot of good in talking about this topic. Um, and again, remember, the purpose of what we've been, we're talking about is to help us mature together, right, in Christ, to become as a body who God created us to be. There's the joy, there's the hesed, there's a group identity, and then he adds on this part of correction in order to help us grow and mature in Christ. But, but I also know that this, this topic hasn't been for everyone and not everyone's still happy with it. Because um, the word correction itself kind of stirs up a negative vibe, doesn't it? It's uncomfortable. And, and uh, so here's, here's something, just you can just take a minute, we'll discuss this together as a group. Um, what, 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 how does that, you can think about this first, how does that word correction hit you and then here's a question, or two questions to contemplate. Why does the author emphasize this so much? And, and if you had the ability to change it, would, what else would you emphasize instead? Why does he emphasize this so much? And if you could change it, what would you emphasize instead? Just take a minute to think about that. We'll talk about that together. You know what, if it would help, just chat briefly with the person sitting next to you. I'm going to need to turn around. Yeah, there you go.
Okay, let's let's bring it together. I know that's barely enough time to think about it, let alone talk about it. It's such a big topic, but that's kind of what we're going to be discussing, at least in a, I'm going to direct it a little bit. So anybody have any, we, this isn't going to be exhaustive. I just wonder if anybody had any thoughts that they thought would be helpful to share. Doug? Got the, got it? It is on. Yep, we're good. Are we on? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, just in that short time, I think Mark made a good point. And, and that is, we were talking about the chapter, and of course, it's, it's a little bit frustrating to think about shame and healthy shame and all that. But if you dismiss that, because that's not really the main, main point. Um, to me, the main point of the chapter is, if you don't have a health, or if you do have a healthy um, atmosphere of, of correcting and sharing and being willing to be corrected, then you've just got a great foundation for a healthy family. And then Mark made the point that, at least this is how I interpreted it, that there there are two extremes. Some some people, they just don't want to go there at all. And others in which they're, um, you know, hypercorrective of everything. But even, even if people are not overtly correcting, if they're setting an atmosphere of, you better... You better do it the way we do it and think the way we think. Otherwise, we're just going to shame you and look down on you. Then you're really correcting. You're just correcting. Every church corrects. One does it in an unhealthy, shameful way, and one hopefully can do it in a in a more healthy way. Anyone else? The word that comes to mind is just maturity. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's easy, like you said, the, the word correction to us sort of brings up these negative connotations. Yeah. But um, if we're going to grow up, we're going to have to learn some things. Yeah. Right? So I don't know. I just, I think, helpful to try and reframe it as like, it's not like you did this thing and we're going to tell you what you did wrong, but like, yeah. hey, there's this thing I've noticed and I just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Hold your thoughts. There's more to it, but um, I want to uh, I want to show a video. I love this video from the Chosen, um, and uh, this is Jesus when he meets the Samaritan woman at the well. So watch this closely and watch how he handles this situation. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? And a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, 
none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat. So you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from. Or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. 
You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Fuck you, man! You told me everything I ever did! <laughs> um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah. I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Um, that, I know that's a dramatization, right? And they add to it, but it's really a beautiful picture of Jesus correcting somebody, right? So here's a question: um, What do you what do you like about Jesus' approach? What struck you about it? And would you call this correction or something else? Okay, not even vaguely. Yeah. Well, he was he was correcting her on a lot of her views, wasn't he? Yeah. He, yeah, he was teaching, but there was correction because she had believed one thing and he was teaching her something different, right? Yeah. But maybe it's the word correction that they're getting stuck on. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lori, do you want to? like a calling or yeah. a blessing 
because he was calling her out to something yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? I was kind of like Andrew, thinking that isn't really correction at all, but I guess it could have been. That is, if somebody had wanted to be really um, obnoxious and legalistic, you know, they could have said, you're wrong, you know, that's not the way you worship and all that, and, and uh, you worship in spirit and truth, and, and just been very uh, antagonistic about it instead of um, kind of winsome. Okay, so correction in your mind is antagonistic, huh? It's interesting, right? It does have a negative connotation a lot of times. Yeah, Carl. I think maybe that's the connotation that we struggle with with yeah. correction. Yeah. Is that the connotation is that it's antagonistic? Yeah. I really like the word that um, Lori used of winsome. Winsome. Yeah. That instead of um, challenging someone to change, that we're inviting them yeah. to change, yeah. that we're inviting them to something better. Yeah. I keep thinking of the African concept of Ubuntu, which is a restorative justice practice. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of shaming people publicly, yeah. it brings people back into the circle. And I think that what Jesus was doing there was not saying you're wrong, right. I don't believe you, your views are wrong, I'm going to restore you back into community, and that's going to look a lot of different ways yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. But there's still correction there. Just pointing her in a different direction, right? Correcting her trajectory. Pointing them, her towards him, right? rather than towards where she was going. It's an interesting concept. I think that we are getting caught up with the word correction in terms of how it's sometimes used and have felt as condemning, um, shaming, right, and difficult. And I'm not going to try to hold on to that word. Um, in fact, I'd like to encourage us to consider something else. Another word, I kind of wish the author had chosen this instead, that incorporates the idea of correction but it's much bigger and has a much more positive focus on it. And, and I would say that word is translated encouragement or exhortation. So, so I, I'll read a couple verses. There's a lot of verses in, in the scripture that talk about this. So 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Says. So, or 1 Thessalonians 5. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Hebrews chapter 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be pardoned by sin's deceitfulness. Again, Hebrews 10. Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, what I read at the beginning, and with full assurance of, the, of faith. Um, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we possess, uh, profess, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, 
not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There are other passages as well. So, And I, I kind of think this is really what Jesus does. So just take a minute and with a person sitting next to you, think of ways that Jesus guides, directs, or you could use the word corrects people in the New Testament. Maybe exhorts or encourages. And how does the exhort, how do you see exhortation and encouragement fit in these examples? Just take a minute. Sorry for not giving you a lot of time, but anybody want to share an example of Jesus kind of guiding and directing or correcting somebody, but doing it in an exhorting, encouraging way? Martha and Mary, which we talked about already, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's very direct, yeah. 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 You know, I, I, you could talk, we could talk a lot about this, and you realize, I mean, most of what Jesus was doing when he was here was the guide and direct. Again, because they had misinterpreted the scriptures incorrectly. They even thought that, he, that the Messiah was going to be someone, someone different than what Jesus ended up becoming, right? They didn't really understand the word as it was proclaimed, and, and he, needed to, he needed to guide and direct them. Again, you, want, you don't want to use the word correct, but encourage, exhort, move them along. And, and here's the deal, right? Um, we are really called to be encouragers and exhorters of one another, of each other. That's really what we're called to be, not correctors, 
even though correction can fit into under this category, but it occurs and exhorters. And let me let let me explain to you why that's true. This is a this is biblical actually. So so the word for encourage that I in all of those passages and other ones that I've read, right? Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, right? It says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds is the same word. And this word is a Greek word called parakaleo. I'm not probably pronouncing it correctly. Parakaleo, right? Which means to draw near, to comfort, to encourage, and to exhort, or to implore and beseech someone, right? To come alongside of them, to be close to them. What does that remind you of? Paraclete. It's the same word. So in fact, in the, it's, the, it's the verb form of the, of the word paraclete, which is the noun, right? It's the action that's meant to take place. And, and we're called to do the same work that the Spirit of God is called to do, to come alongside each other, to encourage each other, to help each other what? Follow God, right? Serve Him. Love others as He's calling us to love, right? Love one another. It's all part of the same same thing. We are, in a sense, called to be like um, the Holy Spirit, like the Spirit of God, right? Although he's in us and he allows us to do that, and through us he does that work, right? Um, to, To help each other be freed from sin, to not have hardened hearts, and to encourage and exhort one another to become more like Jesus. So the other half of church, the book we've been reading, he, Jim Wilder, he, I was listening to a podcast, and, and as I was listening to it, I thought, uh, Jim, here, you're saying it yourself. Why didn't you focus on this? So, so what he said was, he said that um, what, when he talks about, he said, correction is calling or exerting a person to be who, who they are called to be, right? Calling them back to themselves, right? Um, and, this, and, and he said, this reminding them of who they are shouldn't be surprised to a person who is being corrected but rather they should be familiar with it because we should be constantly affirming one another who we are and calling each other to be that, those types of people. And I thought, that's exhortation. Why isn't that the focus of this chapter? Why isn't encouragement the focus? Because correction fits. There's a place for correction, and there are times, but if you watch Jesus do correction as we understand it or we have this negative connotation, where, where do you see that in the New Testament? Where do you see Jesus doing the more kind of painful correction to the Pharisees? Yeah, sometimes to the disciples who like, you're at a point where you guys should know better, right? But again, yes, but often it's to the Pharisees and to the religious people who are hypocrites. He sees them, he says, you're not even, you're pretending to be a righteous person, but you're really a hypocrite. But if a person is is um, is shame, filled with shame, like that woman was, and I'm sure she, in real life, right, that was, even though that was a dramatization, how does he treat them? He treats them with, with kindness, with love. He, he's, point, he's trying to, like, here, let me show you a better way, you know? I'm the better way, follow me instead. You know, there's an encouragement there, an exhortation. Here, drink this water that I'm offering you, right? Worship in spirit and truth, right? Um, or as this one of the Hebrews passages say, spur one another on, encourage one another to love and good deeds, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right? Um, 
you know, there's a, the, and I'll, I'll say this, there is a place for correcting again, but it's when people are really gone off track. You see, Paul does it a lot. When Peter went to Antioch, he says, I challenged to his face because he was wrong. He ate with the non-Jewish people until some Jewish people sent from James came to Antioch. And when they arrived, Peter stopped eating with those people who weren't Jewish. And he separated himself from them. He was afraid of the Jews. So Peter was a hypocrite. He called them out. He said, you're being a hypocrite right now, right? Not to shame Peter, but to redirect Peter. Now, there, was, there are times when that's necessary. In fact, you know, even as an elder or an overseer, we're, we're called to hold people to account, right? Um, to, talk, call, to call people out of sin. Um, and, you know, and Peter would, uh, Paul would do this in a lot of places. And if you read a lot of the epistles, you see him kind of doing this over and over again. And honestly, if you, if you were one of the people that he was speaking about and you read it, even though he didn't use your name, you'd know he was talking about you, right? He's really clear. But mind you, these are people that have gone off the rails, right? And they're not people who have just kind of fallen here or struggling. They're people who are just like walking away from God in a different direction or doing something that's really shameful. And there's correction there. But more often than not, I see, wouldn't it be better if we were constantly encouraging and exhorting one another, right? In order to help each other grow, focusing on that rather than on correction so that there wasn't a need for correction, right? But instead there was... There was that sense of, no, I, I'm gonna, we're going to encourage each other. This is who you're called to be. And there was more joy, right? And there was more said love. And there was a greater sense of who we were together that would come out of that encouragement. What do you think about this? Talk with someone sitting next to you. Then I have one more question for us to kind of ponder together. One of the things that you learn when you're, when, I don't know, how many parents have heard this at some point, this idea, right, that fits this idea of focusing on, on encouraging and exhorting is catch them being good. How many of you heard that catchphrase? You've thought about that? It's hard to do, right? Because more often than not, it's easy to see the negative and hard to see the positive, right? It's easy to criticize them when they make a mistake and hard to remember to bless them when they're doing good. But this is what exhort, exhortation is. Great job. You're doing fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. That's wonderful, right? And to be able to see that and bring that out, it needs to become more of a culture that we live in where we're doing that for each other. I'm going to have you do that here. One of the things, start with one of the things I do with my younger. One of the things I do with the littles that I work with, um, and also I've noticed it helps with the scouts who are a little bit bigger, but um, is looking at progress and not perfection yeah. and saying, oh, you, you did this yeah. much, yeah. yay. Yeah. And not even worrying about the big stuff, but yeah. just moving forward. And I think it helps us see that we're kind of on this path yeah. together and we're moving forward. And let's just keep removing yeah. instead of getting caught up in you didn't do it right. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. This is a correction focuses on the negative, And we're talking about focusing on rather the good things, the positive that we want to see. So what are some ways? And this is a great beginning. This is the question that we can encourage one another. Right. What are some ways we can encourage one another?
think you already said it, and, and Nicole, you gave a really good example, but it is, it's, it's like kind of reprogramming ourselves to be like, okay, I'm going to look for the things people yeah. are doing well, and I'm going to praise them for it. Yeah. And maybe especially when I'm tempted to criticize. Yeah, there you, you know, go. Like, okay, I, I'm wanting, uh, I don't like that. Okay, let me look for something good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so part of that is by that process that we talked about in the first part about being thankful. The more, the more you tend to focus on what you're thankful for, the easier it is to begin to see the good, not just in yourself or your situation, but in others around you. Other thoughts about ways we can encourage one another. Lots some scripture, if that would help. Carl. Sorry, it's not from scripture. Um, we were talking at, at work recently about the difference between no but and yes and. Say, say more. So someone, someone states an idea in a meeting and your response is no but and then you state your idea. Or your response is yes and okay good and you state your idea yeah and there's a big difference yeah 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 both in your attitude and in their response to your idea yeah good takes a little thought doesn't it Andrew right. I'll add some scripture, which I think it uh, gets at what I think yeah. Peter Horton is, is uh, trying to say is the, the broader um, sort of path and, and the broader uh, way of doing things in the community. And, and yeah. it's something I know I've shared before, and I'll share it uh, ad nauseum. But um, for this very reason, says Peter to, the, to his churches, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure over time, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't have those, you are nearsighted and blind, and have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are other things that we can do, right, as well. I mean, I think about what, just think about what encourages you, right? When I think when people ask me how they can pray for me, it's a simple thing, but it really encourages me, right? How, just how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Or, or even if someone has been praying for me and they come up and they say, I've been praying for you, and I, and I wanted you to hear this. I feel like this is for you, a verse or a scripture, right? A scripture or, or a word that the Lord might have, um, you know, those kinds of things. What about the rest of you? Anything else that you think about, like, this encourages me? And it's going to exhort you in order to help you live a better life. There's a woman that I work with. Her name is Maria. She's, she lives in California, so I don't get to see her much, but you, she's one of these, like, always positive people, full of energy, you know, and she's always encouraging. She's got an exhorting gift, right? You can tell. But um, uh, we were at a, on a trip uh, at the beginning of this year in Indianapolis for Urbana, 
And uh, she was just talking about, like, I gotta go to bed, I'm gonna get up at five to run. Now, she's from California, that's like three o'clock her time. I'm like, what are you thinking? And I'm teasing her about how crazy it is instead of exhorting her, right? And, uh, and she, and she just, just flows off her back like nothing. She goes, why don't you get up with me and do it? And I'm like, oh, I can't run because my ankle. She goes, what about the elliptical trainer? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I could. So what do you think? I get up and I'm there with her in the morning doing an elliptical trainer. Like, how did this happen to me? <laughs> right? What had happened? And, but this is funny, right? So, so I've been doing that ever since. And like I was... I've been having some acid reflux issues and some other, like my blood pressure was high, blood pressure went down, right? And I've taken some meds, but other things, acid reflux is gone. I feel better too, physically. And it's partially because I've started to, I don't get up at five, okay, not like that. But that I started to like, yes, this is something that I actually can do. Why not, you know, get up regularly? And it was just a little bit of encouraging exhortation. Yes, it was about a physical reality, Right? It wasn't about a spiritual one, but doesn't my physical reality impact my spiritual? Doesn't that make me feel better and be able to see more clearly? My, men- my mental state is better as well. I'm more patient with others, with myself, less critical. That all helps me become a better person right? and become more like what God wants. Well, he, I, we, we won't kill this anymore. There's a lot of other things that we can do, and I think we need to start thinking about that and figuring out how can we encourage one another, right? Exhort one another to love and good deeds. Spur each other on. Move us in that particular direction. Um, you know, even your presence here today on a holiday encourages me. Because when we, when it was at 10 o'clock, we were like, there's like three people here, like, oh boy. You know, should we wait longer? I'm like, if we waited till 10.30, there'd be a lot more people. And the comment, I, I forget who said it was, yeah, oh, uh, maybe we'll, yeah, Emily. Yeah, Emily, we'll, we'll probably lose the people that are here if we wait that long. You know, and here we are trying to figure this out, but then you came and just your presence being here together, you know, is an encouragement to continue on. Yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you for coming, yes. And I appreciate it. I don't care if you come at 10.15 or 10.30. I mean, Laura and I were a part of a church in the inner city where you just expected people not to start showing up until a half an hour after the service began. And that, so what it was expected, right? And the service really didn't start until later anyway. And then worship was just getting cranked up by the time they showed up. And worship would last for an hour, so it didn't matter if people showed up. And half an hour or 45 minutes late, they still got their worship in, right? And you were thankful for the people that were there and the energy that it brought and the encouragement of knowing that you're not alone and others are with you in this. So here's, I want you just to close your eyes and ask the Lord this question. Lord, who can I encourage today? Who can I exhort uh, to, to follow you more, to love you more um, today? Yeah, Jesus, would you show us how to be like this as a, as a body? I, we think we are in many ways already like this, but even more to be a place where people would come and feel encouraged and exhorted and loved. We just thank you for this day and for your word and for your spirit and for Jesus. In your name, Jesus, amen.